This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, high stakes at the high court. Supreme Court justices will hear arguments today over President Biden's student debt cancellation plan. Millions of borrowers could be impacted. Jurors in Alec Murdoch's double murder trial are going to get a new view. They'll be visiting the murder scene despite the protests of prosecutors. We have more on the trial now in its sixth week. Virginia takes a stand against communist China buying up farmland. Many lawmakers fear such purchases can undermine U.S. national security. The U.S. and the World Health Organization working to finalize an agreement. It would give the intergovernmental agency centralized control over U.S. pandemic response. We hear analysis on the reason and if it would circumvent congressional authority. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. And I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Tuesday, February 28th. We start out with some updates on severe storms in the U.S. A massive blizzard in Nevada yesterday. The storm swept across Crystal Bay on the north shore of Lake Tahoe. Snow covered the streets as wind and icy conditions increased. Officials say the snowstorm could last until Wednesday. They expect it to bring up to six feet of snow and wind gusts up to 100 miles per hour. They are warning of large waves on the lake. Authorities are advising residents in the area to stay indoors and avoid unnecessary travel while the storm dies off. And in central Oklahoma, crews are assessing damage and clearing wreckage after a string of tornadoes. Debris was filmed strewn across neighborhoods and roofs ripped off a residential complex in the city of Norman. An EF2 tornado rolled through the area Sunday night. A tornado of that scale has winds up to 135 miles per hour. Twelve people were taken to the hospital, none with life-threatening injuries. The twister was one of seven that touched down in Oklahoma. Two more were reported in Kansas. The Supreme Court will hear arguments today over President Biden's student debt cancellation plan. It's a plan that impacts millions of borrowers who could see their loans wiped away or reduced. Both individuals and several Republican-led states have sued. They claim the president is not authorized to forgive so much student debt. And, and so far, courts have allowed those suits to go forward. It's unclear how the Supreme Court will respond. The debt forgiveness plan would cancel $10,000 in federal student loan debt for those making less than $125,000 a year. The same goes for households bringing in less than $250,000 annually. Pell Grant recipients would get an additional $10,000 of debt relief. Democratic Congressman Jamal Bowman spoke at a student loan debt protest. I hear the same thing from constituents up and down my district, 60 and 70 years old, paying back student loans for decades and barely making a debt. College should be free. You should pay us to go to school because guess what when we get out we are contributing to this society and this democracy and this economy 
The administration says about 43 million people are eligible for the debt cancellation. 26 million have already applied and 16 million have been approved. The president proposed the debt cancellation plan based on the national emergency declaration during the COVID pandemic. The justices will consider whether states and individuals can legally challenge the plan and whether the Biden administration has the authority to forgive student loans. In the sixth week in a South Carolina courtroom, jurors in Alec Murdoch's double murder trial are going to get a new view. They're slated to go to the scene of the crime as the high-profile trial moves close to deliberations. Here's the story. For weeks, jurors have listened to the smallest details of what evidence shows happened the night Maggie and Paul Murdoch were murdered in June 2021. Now they will see a bigger picture, visiting the murder site as Alec Murdoch's lawyer requests. If the defense wants a jury view, then a court will arrange a jury view. Prosecutors argued in vain against the visit, saying too much has changed since the crime. The trees uh, that were planted um, that separate the kennels and the uh, house uh, are markedly taller and thicker. Monday's witnesses included a defense witness who furthered a theory of multiple shooters since mother and son were each shot by a different type of gun. It's not as if they could instantaneously suffer that, drop the shotgun, run to wherever they are, uh, uh, the blackout rifle is pick that up and then and then in, in any kind of a, a reasonable time period engage in uh, a, a meaningful assault. Ellick called me and, and just absolutely hysterical. The defense's last witness, the first of Alec Murdoch's family members to testify after he took the stand last week. John Marvin Murdoch said his brother was destroyed by the murders and that Alec had never told him he was at the kennels. By him not telling Sled that he was at the kennel? Correct. I would say that, that yes, he lied. And defense has rested any matters of law at this time. The case could be in jurors' hands as early as midweek. Virginia is moving to ban foreign adversaries, namely communist China, from buying farmland. Many lawmakers in recent years have expressed concerns that such purchases will undermine U.S. national security. Lawmakers in the Virginia House of Delegates and Senate recently approved a bill that bans foreign adversaries, including China, from buying farmland in the Commonwealth. Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin is expected to sign this bill. He discussed the problem in his State of the Commonwealth address in January. While the national security concerns and personal privacy implications of CCP technology are well known, I believe Virginians also should be wary of Chinese communist intrusion into Virginia's economy. Virginia's list of foreign adversaries includes communist China, Cuba, Russia, North Korea, and a Venezuelan politician. The bill also requires Virginia's Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services to publish an annual report of foreign land ownership to the governor and general assembly. Virginians not the CCP should own the rich and vibrant agricultural lands God has blessed us with. That is why I'm asking this General Assembly to send me a bill to prohibit dangerous foreign entities tied to the CCP from purchasing Virginia's farmland. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Chinese entities owned about 14,000 acres of farmland in Virginia as of the end of 2021. Most of that is tied to the 2013 purchase of Smithfield Foods, the largest pork producer in the U.S. 
The ban would be retroactively effective from January 1st. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. Speaking of security risks posed by Chinese companies, Canada is also taking action. Canada is planning to ban Chinese-owned social media platform TikTok from all government-issued devices. Canadian Treasury Board President Mona Fortier says the ban is over concerns the app's data collection methods leave users open to cyber attacks. Effective today, TikTok will be removed from government-issued mobile devices and blocked from further downloads. A government review decided TikTok presented an unacceptable level of risk to privacy and security. Fortier says there has been no evidence of any government information being compromised. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says he thinks the government's move might cause the public to reconsider using the popular app. I suspect that uh, as government takes the significant step of uh, telling all federal employees that they can no longer use TikTok on their uh, on their uh, work phones, uh, many Canadians from businesses to private individuals will reflect on the security of their own data and perhaps make choices in consequence. Canada's federal and provincial privacy regulators are also investigating the app. The U.S. federal government, as well as over 28 states, have banned TikTok from government devices. Member states of the World Health Organization gathered yesterday to finalize an agreement that would give the international body centralized control over U.S. pandemic response. We bring you analysis on the reason for the agreement and some potential risks. Joining us now to discuss is the founder and president of the Brownstone Institute, Jeffrey Tucker. It's always great hearing from you, Jeffrey. Sure, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. How would allowing the World Health Organization to have a centralized authority over U.S. policy in the case of a pandemic, which includes decisions on lockdowns, treatments, medical supply chains, and what information is deemed true or false affect U.S. sovereignty? Uh, it'll, it's uh, going to be fundamentally devastating, not, not just to U.S. sovereignty, but also to the U.S. constitutional system of federalism. It was only because of the federalism that we had any kind of rationality at, at all over the last three years. Uh, South Dakota never locked down. Florida opened up very quickly. Texas followed. Uh, Georgia was in the mix, too. And then, and then many other states followed. And they all had better results, uh, not just in terms of pandemic outcomes, but uh, also in terms of human liberties and economic performance too. And we absolutely know this. We've, 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 we have study after study after study that shows that the way to handle this pandemics is not through lockdowns and closures and, and blocking repurposed drugs. Is the main issue whether or not the WHO is adopting good or bad policy or whether or not the, the WHO would gain too much power over US policies? Well, in a funny way, it's both because the policies are terrible and they shouldn't have any any power over U.S. policy anyway. Uh, my worry is that we've got a lot of U.S. officials with the Biden administration that are actually playing a very high role in dictating to the World Health Organization what their uh, policies should be. Uh, U.S. officials and also pharmaceutical companies. It's, so it's an attack. It's like it's like American the, the Biden administration is a, itself prepared to sell out U.S. sovereignty uh, for the world to be gravely injurious to the Constitution and to public health generally. And of course, this agreement is coming out of the executive branch. Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution says the president shall have the power by and with the advice and consent of the Senate to make treaties, provided two-thirds of the 
senators present concur. Would the Biden administration's efforts to enter a legally binding contract with the WHO circumvent the Senate? Uh, so far as we can tell, that is exactly what's going on. They have no interest in democratic uh, approval for this thing or the Constitution's mechanisms for, for treaties. So uh, if we had a, a decent Senate right now, they would be actually uh, passing bills to, to, to absolutely reinforce U.S. sovereignty and, and rebuke uh, all these efforts by the World, World Health Organization. So Brownstone ran an article about two weeks ago just going through the changes that they're making. And as you say, they, they codify lockdowns and censorship and, and all sorts of every terrible pandemic policy. And that you know, really did fire up a lot of very good stories, some of, some of which, the best of which were actually in Epoch Times. And uh, and so now activists on the ground are starting to lean on on legislatures to do something about this, and it's it's happening, but it's pretty late to the late to the show. This this has been in the works for some years, and we're seeing it all fall out right now. But we we have to act fast. I mean, this is this is extremely dangerous policy, and if they get their way, uh, we won't even have the freedom not to lock down. Very urgent matter. A lot at stake here in this very consequential agreement. President of the Brownstone Institute, Jeffrey Tucker, it is always great having your analysis. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services wrote a statement to the Associated Press on the matter. It says that it's false to claim the WHO has now or will have any authority to direct U.S. health policy. They also say any action at the national level would be reserved for sovereign states. And coming up, a new military drone unveiled in Australia. The company's CEO says it meets the needs of the current and future battlefield. Find out what the unmanned craft is capable of. Shen Yun delighted audiences in Las Vegas over the last few days. Some called the performance soul-lifting. We have more on their reactions after the break. If you ever wanted to be an air marshal, now could be your chance. The TSA is looking to hire over 400 new recruits over the, for the position. A hiring drive was held in New Jersey yesterday. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the recruitment effort. We are the last line of defense. We want to make sure that we get the very best of the best. A recruitment event for new air marshals was held at Newark Liberty International Airport on Monday. After 9-11, we had a large group of people who found a calling with the Federal Air Marshal Service, and they are all due to retire. So we are in need of hiring. Candidates need to have excellent eyesight and handgun sharpshooting skills. That's to be able to effectively respond to threats in the confined space of an airplane full of people. Air marshals must also be adept at blending in. As a federal air marshal, you're, you work undercover, and it's really important to remain undercover, and that's why we're quiet and discreet. Several hundred people applied for the positions on Monday. For me personally, the biggest thing is just uh, being able to give back and serve my country um, in some capacity. Travel, see the world, take one day at a time, like, um, and protect and serve. The TSA has several more recruitment events scheduled in different cities through the end of the year. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. A new type of military drone was unveiled in Australia today. It's being designed by BAE Systems and a local manufacturer in the land down under. 
The drone is called Strix and was launched at the Avalon Air Show. The unmanned military aircraft will be manufactured and armed in Australia. It's roughly 8.5 by 15 feet in size. It's designed to carry a payload of up to 350 pounds, close to 500 miles. Here's what the company's CEO had to say about it. The key things that Strix does is it takes off vertically and then transitions to be a conventional aircraft. So you combine all the benefits of a helicopter with all the range, speed and, uh, and payload benefits of a conventional aircraft. And that's unique and it's an Australian innovation done by engineers here in Australia. And it really plays to the, the needs of the, of the current and future battlefield. Work on the prototype is underway. The drone should see operational service by 2026. From military hardware to technology with a softer touch, social robotics is a field that studies and designs robots that can interact socially with people. The aim is for robots to read human social cues and respond appropriately to people in social situations. Entity's Daniel Monahan has more on some possible applications. In his novel Slapstick, Kurt Vonnegut envisions an end to loneliness. President Swain gives all Americans new middle names, making giant families of those with the same new names. While not as far-reaching as Swain's vision, some say social robotics could play a positive role in combating loneliness. Indiana University professor Selma Shabanovich explains. Robots can also help psychologically or mentally, maybe helping people uh, improve their mood, helping them remember certain things through reminders, or even helping them in some cases stave off loneliness by providing some level of interaction, social interaction, companionship. Shabanovich says such robotic helpers could also play an important role at the workplace, making some human tasks easier. The professor discusses robots in healthcare. If a robot can interact with um, an older adult, let's say, for a little bit of time, um, the nurse might have some time to do some other tasks and then actually go back and have more time to spend emotionally and socially interacting with the user. The professor says the greatest development in social robotics over the years has been taking these robots out of the labs and testing them more in everyday human environments. So we see social robots being used in studies of human-robot teaming and human-robot collaboration in various places, sometimes in small factories where they might work in a task together. Um, we also see robots used in education. Shabanovich says there are many questions that still need to be answered as to what applications of this technology would be most beneficial for users. But overall, the professor believes future robots will be more targeted to specific tasks and refined to ensure they provide a measurable benefit to users. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Interesting. A lot of developments that are in the pipeline, but some researchers do caution against social robotics, though. They cite the decrease in human contact. They also warn about a possible loss of privacy and personal liberty. So some worries connected with that one, but to something that let many people forget about their worries, a performance that could change the world. That's what one audience member said after watching Shen Yun in Las Vegas this past weekend. Let's hear more of what the audience had to say. They lifted my soul. Shin Yun Performing Arts uplifted audiences in Las Vegas from February 24th to the 27th, bringing four performances to the Smith Center for the Performing Arts. Oh my goodness, I absolutely love all of the colors. Everything is just so well thought out. Um, it, it's opulent, it's flawless, it's just absolute perfection. Every part of it was beautiful. The, 
the mastery of the movement, um, the ease with which they perform, but also the way they carry themselves. There's something more than just performing that's happening on that stage. It calmed my soul. I recommend everyone come and see it because it really moved me, not only mentally, I mean, I was like really in awe of really seeing it with my eyes, but emotionally I'm leaving here with my heart filled with the love that they actually conveyed in the show. The show is incredible. Dancer Cindy Dumani first saw Shen Yun a decade ago and has seen the performance every year since. The dancing and the dancers are incredible and the colors and the music and the spirituality. I get the message and it's beautiful and wonderful and I'm just thrilled that you're all here, that I can witness this. Shen Yun is a New York-based company performing classical Chinese dance featuring a live orchestra and an animated backdrop. Some audience members say the world needs more performances like Shen Yun and it could change the world. Well, it was an uplifting performance. It gave me hope for the future. We need more of them. It would make the world a better place. I really thought it was amazing how they really were looking at the ethics and the morals of humanity and how we really have to, you know, it really symbolizes for us to, that we have to take um, responsibility for our actions. I think the art director really hit home when it came to we the people and making sure that we embrace each other no matter where we come from, that together we can actually unify and get past anything and survive it all. I think we need more of it today. The world is in a very bad way. And I pray to God that we can get back on track. And this beautiful performance shows all of that. I leave wanting to make the world a better place. And isn't that what art is for? And so thank you for giving me hope. Thank you for sharing your talent. Thank you for all the times you didn't give up when it seemed so hard because this really lifted. I think it elevated the entire audience. So thank you. Shin Yun will be performing in 11 cities around the world this week. NTD News, Las Vegas, Nevada. Up next, the NTD International Figure Painting Competition is back and is now calling for entries. We're taking a closer look at the requirements when we come back. Good to have you back. The NTD International Figure Painting Competition is back and is now calling for entries. To all the talented ar artists out there, this could be your chance. Let's take a closer look at the requirements. The lasting beauty of realistic oil painting. This is NTD's sixth international figure painting competition. The mission is to promote the pure beauty, goodness, and authenticity of traditional painting. Professor Zhang Kun Lun is an accomplished sculptor. He's also the jury chair of the competition. According to him, a strong technical foundation is crucial for an artist. And a good work of art also needs an excellent overall presentation. But only submissions of figure paintings will be accepted. Why? People are always at the center of activities in society. Painting the human figure is the hardest. It can best test one's ability. There is also a spiritual perspective. Various faiths say that divine beings created man in their own image. Therefore, using authentic academic realism painting techniques is a way to show respect to humanity ourselves. In addition to realism techniques, submissions must convey positive ideals such as righteousness, compassion, and beauty. 
Art can hasten either the elevation or degeneration of people's moral standards. Good artwork can broaden people's minds and make them a nobler person. And since the artwork reflects an artist's inner world, Zhang stresses the importance of a pure mind for artists. If an artist wants to produce good artwork, the artist must first be a good person, a person with a higher moral standard than others. When one creates art, one must continuously purify oneself. He also said that realism artists today shoulder an important responsibility. Persisting with traditional fine art in today's society is itself something remarkable. He believes that the competition provides a great chance for artists who adhere to tradition to showcase their talents. By participating in this competition, accomplished oil painters from all over the world can share and learn from each other, so it's a great opportunity to improve. And the professor has high hopes for contestants. People's art will prosperously reappear and take a righteous path, this is for sure. These artists, I hope they can all create brilliance in fine art of men. There is also an award. The competition offers over $25,000 in prizes, including $10,000 for the gold award. Artists can submit their best work until June 15th, and we can all look forward to the finalist exhibition and auction in New York later in the year. I saw a lot of beautiful pieces in that competition in the past years already, so I'm really excited for this one. Yeah, the intersection of spirituality, beauty, and skill, that's really something to look forward to. You know, yeah, it seems quite unique. So, yeah, let's look forward to that one. And that's all for today's program. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.